This podcast has been built on recurring episodic series. I've always loved that about Saturday Night Live, that they introduce characters or bits like the church lady back in the day, or Black Jeopardy more recently, that you get to know and with familiarity get to look forward to whenever they come back. And that's how I hope you feel about Authors in August, when we hit it each August, or Stock Stories, Old New Borrowed Blue Pet Peeves, Review of Paloozas. Many of these recur multiple times a year, like the Market Cap Game Show, four times a year, once a quarter, including later this month, and ones that happen once a year. But then there are the granddaddies, the ones that have been around the longest and keep coming back. Mailbags, anyone? Yep, the end of every month, dozens of them for years and years now. Or what we now turn again to this week, great quotes. More often than not, it's unthemed, a grab bag. Always five quotes at a time to make you smarter, happier, and richer. But this time, we're going to focus on entrepreneurs and business. Great quotes, volume 16, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. It is Great Quotes, Volume 16. I have an opportunity a bit later this week to speak to the CEOs of startups, specifically Motley Fool Ventures, which is our venture capital fund here at The Motley Fool. We have a bunch of CEOs running our startups, and I've got the opportunity to share some thoughts and stories with them later this week. And it got me thinking, well, why wouldn't I just share some of these with you? It won't be the same talk, but I thought there are a lot of business people and entrepreneurs on my podcast, far more than I'll be speaking to later this week. Why wouldn't I share it out some? And let's talk about some of the best thoughts that I can have specifically for entrepreneurs and for people in business. Now, that's what we're doing this week, but I do want to mention what's ahead this month for Rule Breaker Investing. Next week, I'm rejoined. The band's getting back together. Matt Greer and my brother Tom Gardner. It's going to be Blast from the Radio Past, Volume 4, where we go back over hilarious interviews done with Bright Lights many years ago, and we get to listen again and hear them with fresh ears and reflect. So, Blast from the Radio Past, another of my favorite episodic series. Next week, the week after, I'll be rejoined by an author, Warren Berger, author of the wonderful book, A More Beautiful Question, and the follow-up, The Book of Beautiful Questions. We're going to be asking some beautiful questions here at the start, still mostly near the start of 2023. Looking forward to Warren joining. And then the following two weeks, yep, the Market Cap Game Show. Can't wait for it every time around. We'll have the first of this year, and then, of course, our monthly mailbag, five Wednesdays in March. Five Rule Breaker Investing podcasts. Also, before we get started, I want to mention for the optimists in this crowd, and my friends, I think we over-index toward optimism at The Motley Fool. I want to mention I'm delighted to be helping another new podcast debut this week. It's called Blue Sky. It's a new podcast from the Optimism Institute and its founder, my longtime friend, the formidable and always fun to be around Bill Burke. Now, Bill gave me the honor of being his first episode. I am not worthy. Blue Sky has just launched today, March 1st, as March is the start, who knew, of National Optimism Month. So, 
Listen in. I hope you enjoy my episode, but even more, I bet you'll appreciate all the many that will come after. Blue Sky, the new podcast from the Optimism Institute, can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, etc., wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, I've got, as usual, five great quotes to share with you this week and to think about really staying focused on entrepreneurs and business. And the first one is from John D. Rockefeller. Now, I'm not sure I've ever really spoken about Rockefeller. I'm not a huge rock fan. I'm not I'm not a hater either. I just I haven't really studied the man very much. But this quote, I think, speaks to everyone in every age, and I like it a lot. So as we think about an entrepreneur's journey, especially that initial seed of an idea that you have for that thing that you might want to create loose upon the world, that thing that you hope will be maybe solving an old problem or creating a new possibility. That's often how I think about businesses. They either solve an old problem better and or they create a new possibility. Here's Rockefeller's line, and I quote, If you want to succeed, you should strike out on new paths rather than travel the worn paths of accepted success. End quote. In a lot of ways, this speaks to me as a fool, capital F, somebody who, by definition, tries to go against the conventional wisdom. And I think I'm addressing many other fools this week listening to me in many places around the world. You also have that same spirit of contrariety of, hey, everybody's doing it that way. That's the old way. Why wouldn't we try it this new way. In fact, thinking back to an author I enjoyed, his book, A Whack on the Side of the Head. Some of you may have read Roger Von Eck's wonderful book about creativity. He speaks to the fool this way in that book, and I quote, it was the fool's job to parody any royal court proposal under discussion to make it appear in a fresh light. He might extol the trivial, trifle the exalted, or reverse the common perception of the situation. Example, If a man is sitting backwards on a horse, why do we assume that it is the man who is backwards and not the horse? Result, the fool dislodged people's assumptions. End quote. By the way, Roger Von Eck turned his book, A Whack on the Side of the Head, into the creative whack pack. It is a deck of cards. You can order it on Amazon, flip up a different card, challenge your thinking, spark some creativity. I have enjoyed my creative whack pack for many years as well. But a lot of us, with the fool's mentality, trying to be the fool in this situation, might rather naturally cotton to Rockefeller's quote about striking out on new paths rather than travel the worn paths of accepted success. You know, I think a key word in that line is the word accepted, because it's particularly hard to resist the worn paths of accepted success, of success, things that are already working or that are clearly acceptable and seem to be succeeding. So it's very natural for us to think, why wouldn't I just take that job, not at that startup, which would require extra risk, but just take that job at the tried and true. Nobody ever went wrong back in the day, they said, buying from IBM or saying, yep, IBM is supplying us the worn paths of accepted success. And yet, especially this week for entrepreneurs, you know that the only way really to succeed with your startup is if you're adding new value. If, in the words of Robert Frost, a phrase I've often used in the past, if you have a lover's quarrel, not with 
the world, which is the words on Robert Frost's gravestone from his own poem, but a lover's quarrel with your industry. You know, in my experience, a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs had a bad experience in the industry in which they are launching their new startup. They think, you know what? I think we can do this better. And so, those with that vision, that lovers quarrel with their own industries, I think this is a little bit of an older school example, an old rule breaker stock pick. But do you remember Blue Nile? I hope you do. It's still around today. But Blue Nile was started by Mark Vedon, who just felt clueless when he was trying to buy an engagement ring and ask someone to marry him. He felt like all of the power and knowledge is on the other side. The jewelers know what they're doing. He could get fleeced. He didn't enjoy the experience of buying in a retail physical store an engagement ring. So he thought, why wouldn't I create an online e-commerce site that strives to educate people to provide extreme transparency and, by the way, also buy their rings from me instead, and thus launched Blue Nile, which I would describe as an overall success, though somewhat mixed, and Vedan himself eventually moved on. But he clearly had a lover's quarrel with the industry in which he decided to expand his own focus and his business. You know, whenever I think of innovation and startups, I I always think of Buffett's great line about the three eyes in every cycle. The first eye, of course, is the innovator, the person who showed up with the new idea, the entrepreneur, the person who, with Rockefeller, is going to strike out on a new path. That's the innovator. Buffett says, though, the second eye that comes after in the cycle, the innovator, is the imitator. And the imitator, to me, sounds like traveling the worn paths of accepted success. And of course, the funny punchline to Buffett's line about the three eyes in every business cycle, you've got the innovator, you've got the imitator, and the third and final eye is the idiot. That's the person who somehow is still managing to raise venture capital based often on the hype and momentum created by the innovator and the imitators. And near the end of cycles, anybody can get funded with their idea. We've certainly seen that, especially thinking back to 2000 and 2001 in the past. You know, I even think last month to the wonderful time that we spent with C.T. Nguyen. And T. was mentioning in that interview on the philosophy of games that he initially was pursuing the philosophy of art. And then he decided it was kind of a dead end and a shrinking area of the philosophy. And so he really took it upon himself to start asking, well, aren't games, aren't tabletop board games art? And what uniquely differentiates them? So while I'm speaking in a lot of ways to entrepreneurs this week, I think I'm speaking to anybody who strikes out on a new path. To close on this one, isn't that what the rule breaker investment approach is? Approaching investing to break the rules of how it's been done in the past, that's pretty much what I've been dedicating most of my work time over the last 30 years to doing, is to subvert, to provide a new way of thinking about investing, and not just of thinking, but actually of doing it. And I would say, more broadly, The Motley Fool has clearly always been focused in a world that was focused on Wall Street, where still so much of the financial media does train its focus. We like to focus on Main Street. Everyone is an investor. You can beat the market. By the way, we also say, speaking of striking out on new paths, this can be fun. Investing should be fun. Don't try to be so wise with the wise men of Wall Street thinking it takes a business suit to become an investor. We are all investing, and we all can do it better, and it's it's worth it. So, at least from one entrepreneur, that's part of 
my viewpoint, but I know I'm speaking to many others with many different product solutions and angles in mind. But if you want to succeed, to close, Rockefeller says, strike out on a new path. My five quotes this week are kind of kind of the progression of entrepreneurship. So that first one was speaking to that initial idea and how you might want to angle it. This second one coming from Dwight D. Eisenhower. For some reason, I'm rocking white men of the 20th century who had their middle initial. That was such a 20th century thing, wasn't it? I never really went with David H. Gardner, but as a creature of the 20th century, perhaps I should have John D. Rockefeller, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Of course, the 19th century thing was to have your full middle name to have three names. That was so 19th century. Ralph Waldo Emerson, or my producer Rick whispers in my ear, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Well, I think in the 21st century, we're just kind of rocking our two names. Or for some people, I don't know if you're LeBron, you can get away with just one name. Anyway, Dwight D. Eisenhower talking about planning, because quote number two, well, we've gotten our startup out there, but now we're starting to make plans. Eisenhower, quote, plans are worthless, but planning is everything, period. End quote. You know, when I initially thought about this one, using QuoteInvestigator.com, one of my 20 favorite websites, I went and just checked, because many of us who've done any planning, you've heard the line, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And you can check it. Pretty much that's attributed to Helmut von Moltke, the elder, who was a German general. He said it, translated in a little bit longer form. I see it's actually no plan of operations extends with any certainty beyond the first encounter with the main enemy forces. But I think that takes a little bit too long to get to the point. So often you'll find lines get simplified down to their essence. No plan survives first contact with the enemy is definitely a much more elegant way to say it. I think a lot of us have heard that before. Mike Tyson in the 1980s had a similar version. Of course, the professional boxer sensation that he was in the 80s, Tyson's line was, everybody has plans until they get hit for the first time. So, plans and planning. And I think the important thing is the planning. And that's why I wanted to highlight this Dwight D. Eisenhower quote. President Eisenhower, who was also, of course, a very successful general in World War II, plans are worthless says the guy who was helping oversee U.S. forces and one day became our president. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Then you start wondering, well, what exactly is planning? And I think planning, at least the best form of it that I've seen, is knowing the questions you want to answer. Here I am rocking Warren Burger and beautiful questions once again, previewing his appearance on the podcast in a couple of weeks. But Warren Burger says at one point in his book, forget vision statements. What is our vision question? That open-ended desire to ask a better question. In fact, in one of his other books, Warren Burger talks about not brainstorming, but question storming. Rather than sit there and try to brainstorm answers within, let's say, a team setting or a team meeting, what if you just try to come up with even better questions? Now, I suppose you can do both, but most people only think of the answer part, and they think brainstorm. And I think it's because they want to end up with a plan. 
until we are reminded by Eisenhower that plans are worthless. But planning is everything. So I think planning is knowing the questions, determining what questions you want to answer or keep trying to answer. So again, Warren Berger, rather than a vision statement, how about a vision question? And as we prepare for number three, I'm thinking again of another quote. This one's from Louis Pasteur. I was checking this one recently. This is the slightly longer version that Pasteur actually initially said. In the fields of observation, chance favors only the prepared mind. In the same way that things get shortened and made more eloquent over time, a lot of people these days might just say, fortune favors the prepared mind, a line I've certainly heard before. It comes basically from Pasteur, but I think it reminds us that what is the prepared mind but the mind that has engaged in planning? So the act of planning prepares our minds, and yes, I agree, fortune in life, in war, and in business is going to favor the planners unless they've fallen in love with their plans. All right, on to quote number three. This one is from longtime leadership expert and author Jim Collins. And I quote, Leadership is not about invoking rank. Leadership is about seeing clearly what must be done, taking action, and inspiring others to join you in throwing their energies full force into the task. End quote. I think a lot of us these days could recognize leadership isn't about merely invoking rank. I realize it probably still takes that form in many places around the world. But most of us, I think, have taken a more enlightened view these days of what leadership truly is. But what I appreciate about Collins and his quote is that last part of it. Leadership is about inspiring others to join you in throwing their energies full force into the task. Now, speaking again to the entrepreneurs, team leaders, and business people, you know you can't do it on your own. Maybe you were a great student in school. You could do a lot of that on your own. You may have done your homework on your own. You may have taken that SAT and gotten a high score in math. Yup, on your own. But as soon as you start trying to do anything meaningful, increasingly in this complex world, you start realizing, I need to get other people on a team. I need to have a team, and that's, after all, what businesses are and startups start with. Usually a small team, but the key that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially younger ones, might not think hard enough about is that you need to be able to inspire others to join you in taking that crazy risk, that new path. They could have, if they're capable, they probably could have gone to work for any one of a number of other organizations for them to choose you They're not so much choosing your startup or maybe the little equity you're giving them. Maybe they are. But I think more than anything, they're choosing you. And so your ability to inspire them to throw their full force energy into the task is going to be incredibly important. There's a great book by Dave and Wendy Ulrich entitled The Why of Work, which speaks so beautifully to the importance of purpose and purpose-driven businesses and how a lot of employees of the best companies, the best employees, are really signing up for the purpose of that organization, for-profit and not-for-profit, and who, more than anyone, needs to make that purpose live for them. And I think it's probably the founder. It's the CEO. It's the leadership team. Purpose. I think about another past guest. I've had a wonderful author, Roy Spence, on this 
podcast before, and Roy Spence and Haley Rushing wrote a wonderful book called It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. Like a lot of great nonfiction titles, you can pretty much see what it's about right there in the title. But what Haley and Roy are speaking to is that when we're buying increasingly these days, especially younger generations, we're often, we care about how those animals were treated or where that product was sourced or whether it's in a plastic bottle or not. These things really increasingly matter to humanity writ large. And so it's not what you sell, it's what you stand for. But I would say, in addition, it's not what you stand for, it's about who you're standing for. So more than anything, I think especially for startups, this not might not be as true for bigger or more mature companies, but especially startups, if I'm speaking to the young entrepreneur or the potential entrepreneur in you, I would say, you know what's underrated? Being fun. You know what's underrated? Being cool, being likable, winning, popular. A great definition of leadership? Leaders have willing followers. So, increasingly, I think, in this world, and I'm especially thinking about the best organizations, which are going to be the only ones that are going to be able to hire the best people. Good people want to go to work for other good people toward good ends. And so, it's increasingly important for startups to be able to inspire those who take a risk, come to work for you, who will throw their energies full force, along with Jim Collins, into the task. Great quote number three. All right, on to great quote number four. And here I will once again evince my appreciation of British humor, usually whimsical British humor. On at least one of my past great quotes episodes, I've quoted from the IT crowd, the British comedy about a couple of guys running an IT department at a big faceless corporation. Well, this one is from a couple of other great British comedians, David Mitchell and Toby Webb, Mitchell and Webb. Some of you, no doubt fans, you already know where I'm headed probably when I say Angel Summoner. But for many others who may be hearing those phrases for the first time, I highly recommend so much of Mitchell's and Webb's work. You can certainly watch the video that I'm speaking to. It takes about five minutes. Yep, it's up there for free on YouTube. So Mitchell and Webb do a lot of comedic roles. They have their own episodic series. One of them is about two superheroes who are joining forces, of course, to free the world of evil and do good. And one of them, played by David Mitchell, is Angel Summoner, which, if that sounds pretty powerful, yeah, you're right. The other, played by Toby Webb, is the BMX Bandit. Now, the BMX Bandit can do amazing tricks on his BMX bike. But when you're thinking at a superhero level, I think the reason that this is funny and that I'm including them for quote number four is because when you see this kind of mismatch in what should probably be kind of a 50-50 deal between these two superheroes, I mean, Batman and Robin, I think we can all agree Batman is probably providing about 80% of the oomph, but you know, Robin's bringing 20%. I'm just making these numbers up. Well, in the case of Angel Summoner and BMX Bandit, it's closer to 99 to 1. And in the course of this funny five-minute YouTube video where they work together to combat evil, take down the terrorists, and save the world. It becomes increasingly evident, not just to the audience, but to BMX Bandit himself, that he is, in his own words, redundant? And so he has sort of a, a crisis of identity, and they have a conversation, and David Mitchell playing Angel Summoner, who can summon a horde of all-powerful angels and overwhelm evil 
in most contexts, David Mitchell says as Angel Summoner, and I quote, Yeah, well, but at the end of the day, it's really about results. End quote. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you watch the five-minute YouTube video, you kind of get it, and that's, I think, a lot of the reason that we're laughing. But the reason I'm including this is great quote number four, speaking to entrepreneurs and business people this week, is after going through our first three, where I first spoke to striking out on a new path, doing it differently, quote number two, plans are worthless, but planning is everything, speaking to the importance of planning. And then number three, leadership and who you are really matters. Well, you know what else really matters at the end of the so-called day? Quote number four, results. And I think a wonderful discipline, it's true of business, maybe more so than most occupations, but I think we can all recognize the output of our work in every context matters at the end of the day. But especially in business, you had a product, you had a service, somebody bought it from you. I sure hope you've improved their lives with your product or service. It might not work right away, or maybe it's subpar. They're paying less knowing it's not as high quality as what they could have had, but they don't want to spend that much for that kind of a thing in their lives. But at the end of the day, you're going to need to have pleased somebody because they voluntarily purchased from you. At least that's the way it works in most businesses, maybe not always cable TV. And so, the best entrepreneurs and the best businesses are among the most, I would say, other-focused people and organizations in the world. When I think of churches, I think there's a lot of selflessness. Uh, When I think of NGOs and charities, I think there's a lot of other focus there. But you know what? That's equally true of great businesses. Great entrepreneurs are incredibly other-focused. I think the cliche is that they're just in it to get rich I mean, when they were eight years old, they were probably buying baseball cards just to sell baseball cards to other kids and then sell them insurance around those baseball cards. They were so business-minded. They were so selfish, the cliché runs, throughout the course of their early adult life. It's predictable then that they would eventually start a business just to get rich. But at least in my experience, that doesn't lead to riches in business. The reason that most of the great entrepreneurs are millionaires or billionaires is, in my experience, because they are other-focused. They've created a product or a service that helps others. And I would say the more they help and the more people they help, the bigger their enterprise and often the bigger is their wealth. A lot of consultants, a lot of athletes, a lot of corporate ladder-steppers do certainly have success, but there's a more self-focused individual success often in those kinds of careers, which is fine. Great for them, the consultants, the athletes, the corporate ladder steppers. But if you want to go bigger, and I'm assuming for anybody who's an entrepreneur, that's what they're shooting for, that's going to entail more risk, more hours, sometimes more, definitely, in fact, more heartbreak, too. You're going to start a business. You're going to begin to hire others And speaking of others, you're going to need to convince capital O others to support your business by actually buying what you're offering. So, it's got to be good. You have to be constantly tweaking or trying to improve your product or service as well as how you market it. That is really at the heart of being an entrepreneur. And yeah, well, but at the end of the day, 
it's really about results. And I think another real discipline of so many entrepreneurs is they have probably venture capitalists backing them. They have other people who have invested in them, sometimes with them, and talk about other focus. That forces you out of yourself to be asking, not just, am I fulfilling my own creative ambitions as an entrepreneur, but am I getting, along with Angel Summoner, am I, at the end of the day, am I getting results? Before I close with great quote number five, I want to say sometimes those results don't work out. In fact, the vast majority of startups, as has often been said, fail. But if we're going to fail, and how many times have I failed, let's fail trying. And let's fail trying nobly, trying at something that really mattered. Going back to the first quote, let's fail by striking out on a new path, by actually having an adventure and seeing if we can do something amazing. If it fails, well, we can we can try again, especially in America. We are much more forgiving than most other nations in the world, much more forgiving of failure and trying again. I once spoke in the UK. I was an American entrepreneur helping to keynote a conference, and the main point this is back in the late 1990s. The main point of having American entrepreneurs over is because in America, we were told by our European friends, we allow people to fail. In Europe, in Britain, and other places around Europe, the context is if you blow it, you're never going to get another shot. So there's an admiration for our willingness to, to fail. So while I'm definitely talking about results here with quote number four, at the end of the day, we all recognize the results might go against us, but I think especially for entrepreneurs, I hope you won't let that get you down and you'll try again. Of course, the key is to make lemonade out of the lemon of past failure, and if you can get an angel summoner on your side, even more power to you, quote number four. All right, and on to great quote number five. I'll give the quote, see if you can name the movie, and if you can, see if you can name the character in the movie who delivers the quote. We'll talk a little bit about it. Here's the quote. I bet you've heard it before. Win the crowd, and you will win your freedom. Raise your hand if you think it's from the movie Gladiator, and if your hand is up, give yourself a plus one. And if you knew that, can you name the character who delivered it? I admit I wouldn't have remembered, but I looked it up. Proximo. Proximo delivers what's probably the most famous line in one of the better movies of the last generation, Ridley Scott's 2000 film. It's been 23 years. Best picture that year, among other accolades. Gladiator. Win the crowd, and you will win your freedom. You know, Proximo in the movie is a trainer of gladiators, and Russell Crowe, the star of the show, who plays Maximus, discovers, learns from Proximo that Proximo himself at one point was a gladiator who'd been freed by Emperor Marcus Aurelius. So you too, he says to Maximus, can win your freedom if you win the crowd. Now, this is a business and investing podcast, so we're going to leave ancient Rome now and apply this great line to entrepreneurship and business. Win the crowd, and you will win your freedom. You know, whenever I think about business, I go back to my schoolboy, was it ninth grade biology, and I think about 
evolution. And I think that what's really happening in business is very akin to what's happened in evolution. And that is that customers, in the case of business, naturally select the products and services, the brands, the companies, the entrepreneurs, customers naturally select which ones they want to buy. And because they then provide resources to those that they do buy from, like genes, those businesses that succeed, naturally selected, are able to live on and pass their genes on, if you will, to the next generation. So, business, in my mind, is a lot like evolution, where natural selection is happening and is favoring certain entities or species over others. It's a very natural and logical thing. And so, to win the crowd and win your freedom in this context, I think about, well, the power of brands. Quote number four was just about generating results, and that certainly, at the end of the day, matters. And yet, really winning in a way that is sustainable, I think you're winning with Maximus, you're winning the crowd, the brands that we love as buyers, the brands that I often look for as an investor. These are great signs that you're winning the crowd. And the key to business is, unlike a two-hour movie or a fictional backstory, you actually have to keep winning from one year to the next, or from one decade to the next, if you're playing the long game. So, winning the crowd in business is not a one-shot, a one-off. It's a process that you have to get better and better at over time. Win the crowd, Proximo said, and you will win your freedom. Well, your freedom. As an entrepreneur or a business person, you're probably initially thinking of financial freedom, and that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people are looking for freedom from caring about paychecks. That's one thing that the Motley Fool Foundation that I get to help chair is intent upon, asking, how do we spread financial freedom to more and more people, maybe one day, not during my lifetime, but maybe one day to all? Financial freedom counts for a lot. Some people call it retirement, not a word I use, but a lot of people aim and dream of financial freedom in the form of retirement. I think a lot of creative people, I include myself here as well, I, I laughed at the Doonesbury comic a weekend or two ago when they're talking about the difference between creatives and creators. And the character in Doonesbury says, don't call me a creative. I want to be a creator. Anybody can be a creative. I want to be a creator. There's a joke about creative accountants. It's the actual punchline for that Doonesbury comic. But I think creative freedom, that's the kind of freedom that I would like to win. I hope you too. The freedom to be your next your next butterfly. Because after all, if you've succeeded as an entrepreneur or somebody over the course of your professional life, you've probably turned from a caterpillar into a butterfly. But if you can win the crowd and win your freedom, which in entrepreneurial terms to me says that you've created outstanding value, rewarding all of your stakeholders to the point that you have far more than you'll ever need. If you've won that crowd and won that freedom, you've won the freedom to be your next butterfly. So, my fellow entrepreneurs, my fellow business people, my fellow fools, win the crowd, and you will win your freedom. Well, reflecting back on this week's podcast, we had a real progression of our five quotes all about entrepreneurship. The first was about formation and starting up. And the second was about making plans. And the third was about leading in a way that people will want 
to follow. The fourth was about generating results, what every entrepreneur hopes to do, although the fifth reminds us beyond mere results, you should be trying to win the crowd so that you will truly win your freedom. Well, my foolish best wishes this week to all the entrepreneurs, Motley Fool Ventures entrepreneurs that first came to mind for me, the many more entrepreneurs reached by this podcast, and, not to be overlooked, the many, many more fellow fools of all stripes and sizes, all orientations, who have an entrepreneurial spirit, who work diligently toward winning crowds one day to win their your freedom. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.